to our podcast, Dental Study Bites Patient Case Reviews. It's Jess and Neha here. For those of you who don't know us, we are currently fourth-year dental students at the University of Minnesota. In this podcast, we talk about patient cases and incorporate high-yield board facts to help students prepare for the INBDE. Today is part four of our full mouth rehabilitation case. We discussed the previous three sections, so make sure to check them out. This will be our last day with this case. This case was provided to us by Dr. Velezquez, a current prosthodontics resident at the University of Minnesota. This case is quite involved as it required endodontics, prosthodontics, and periodontics residents to collaborate. Today we will be talking about the periodontal aspect of this case and what to remember for the board exam. A good place to start would be with the flow of periodontal treatment. Generally, you start with a periodontal patient by extracting hopeless teeth that cannot be saved. Then you can move on to the non-surgical treatment options, which are Non-surgical options are often scaling and root planing treatment, which is indicated when you start getting larger pocket depths greater than 5. After scaling and root planing, what happens? You have the patient back for a 6-8 to eight week re-evaluation to measure pocket depths to see if they have gone down, stayed the same, or have gotten worse. If they have gotten worse, we generally move to what? The surgical stage of treatment, which involves a variety of methods to help lower pocket depths. We will get into these methods soon since they are often talked about on the board exam. Then, after surgical treatment, the patient can undergo restorative treatment since the periodontium is now stable. Once that is done, they move into what stage? They move into the maintenance stage. How often they have to come in for maintenance depends on the severity of the periodontal disease. In most cases, patients are placed on a 3-4 to four month recall. Now that we have gone over the general flow of a periodontal patient, it would be beneficial to talk about how a patient goes from the gingivitis stage to the periodontitis stage. Absolutely. The first stage of gingivitis usually occurs within two to four days. It involves neutrophils, increased gingival cravicular fluid. Then in stage two, which usually occurs in four to seven days, T lymphocytes show up, collagen is lost, and bleeding on probing occurs. Then, after 14 to 21 days, stage 3 occurs, which involves B lymphocytes, collagen loss, and changes in gingival appearance. The last stage, which is stage 4, is when irreversible damage occurs to the gingiva, which, which signifies the start of periodontitis. There are also a lot of important bacteria to talk about when it comes to the gingiva. For instance, actinomyces is associated with healthy gingiva and root caries. Streptococcus mutans is associated with what? Streptococcus mutans bacteria are associated with caries. What is a common bacteria on the tongue, Neha? As salivarius. This is a common boards question where they mix in normal bacteria with a list of pathogenic bacteria, so it's helpful so it's a helpful one to know. Absolutely. Three more bacteria to know are T. denticola, P. gingivalis, and AA. Definitely look up the full names in order to recognize them on the exam. Some of them are very difficult to say. T. denticola is associated with acute necrotizing ulcerative gingivitis and periodontitis. P. gingivalis is associated with chronic periodontitis. Lastly, AA is associated with aggressive periodontitis. An important thing to note is that neutrophils are commonly the first cells to migrate into the gingival sulcus as gingivitis begins. Yes, neutrophils are also one of the most abundant inflammatory cells during acute inflammation. Now, as promised, we are going to go over some things to know about periodontal therapy for boards. To start, let's talk about some of the indications for periodontal surgery. Some indications could include areas in the mouth with irregular bony contours, deep craters, and other bony defects. 
It is also done when you have too deep of pockets to remove calculus or irritants with just scaling and root planing. So let's say we have a large pocket that needs surgical intervention. What are some examples of pocket reduction surgery? There are quite a few options for pocket reduction surgery. A practitioner could perform a gingivectomy, an apically positioned flap, an undisplaced flap, or a flap with a graft or a membrane. A gingivectomy is the removal of gingival tissue by excising it. It should not be confused with a gingival plasty, which is the reshaping of the gingiva for a more ideal contour. Next, let's talk about concepts of flaps. What is a flap? A flap is a section of gingiva mucosa, or both, that is surgically separated from the underlying tissues which provides visibility and access to the bone and the root surface. Flaps are used to obtain access for root instrumentation and for pocket reduction as stated before. There are many different types of flaps. Let's start with the full thickness flaps versus partial thickness flaps. Sounds good. A full thickness flap is when all the soft tissue, including the periosteum, is reflected to expose the underlying bone. This is often done with resective or regenerative osseous surgery. A partial thickness flap is when the flap only includes the epithelium and a layer of connective tissue. The bone is not uncovered in this procedure. This is done when flaps are placed apically or if you don't need bone to be exposed. What is the difference between a repositioned or displaced flap? A repositioned flap is when the flap is returned to its starting position. A displaced flap is when the flap is returned and sutured to a different location. What is the difference between a conventional and a papilla preservation flap, Jess? A conventional flap is when the papilla is split between the contact point of two approximating teeth. The papilla preservation flap is when the flap incorporates the entire papilla in one of the flaps. Now that we have talked about the general principles of flaps, let's get into certain flap techniques. We will talk about four general areas of flap techniques. The first two are gingival flaps and the modified Whitman flap. The gingival flap is simple in design and preserves the most amount of periodontal tissue. It is indicated in aesthetic areas. The modified Whitman flap is used to help with access for root instrumentation, but it doesn't reduce pocket depths. The apically positioned flap provides accessibility to the practitioner and helps eliminate depths of pockets by apically positioning the soft tissue wall of the pocket. This flap preserves or even can increase the width of the attached gingiva. This flap can lead to some aesthetic concerns, however. The last flap we will talk about is the distal wedge flap. This flap is used in the retromolar pad or tuberosity areas. It is usually triangular or rectangular in shape. Usually in the maxilla, you will have a parallel incision, and in the mandible, you will have a V-shaped incision. Another important topic for boards is different antibiotics that are used in regards to periodontal health. One area of antibiotics used are tetracyclines, such as doxycycline and monocycline. This antibiotic group is effective against gram-negative and positive bacteria. It is also bacteriostatic by acting on protein synthesis. A common side effect and a beloved board's question is pseudomembranous colitis. Clindamycin is also bacteriostatic and can cause pseudomembranous colitis. In periodontics, some of these antibiotics may be applied locally to areas with periodontal disease. For instance, Atrodox has doxycycline in it and is very commonly used. Atrodox is composed of a two-syringe mixing system and is released subgingivally at problem sites. What is the name of a product that uses minocycline? That would be Arrestin. Along with locally applied antibiotics, systemic treatment for chronic periodontitis can also be done with antibiotics. 
What is the name of the only FDA-approved oral systemic treatment for chronic periodontitis? That would be Periostat. It is used in conjunction with scaling and root planing in order to reduce pocket depth levels. All of the above-mentioned antibiotics are also used in conjunction with scaling and root planing to decrease pocket depths. Exactly. The last thing we want to talk about today is traumatic occlusion, which can often impact the periodontal health of patients. There are generally primary and secondary occlusal traumas. Primary occlusal trauma is caused by extra forces on the normal periodontium. Secondary occlusal trauma is caused by normal forces on an already compromised periodontium. When a filling is left high, patients can often experience traumatic occlusion. Oftentimes, they have symptoms of sensitivity to cold, biting, and occasionally mobility of teeth. Traumatic occlusion can be distinguished from a compromised pulp via radiographs and endodontic testing since both exhibit similar symptoms. What is the treatment for a high restoration? You would check the patient's bite with an occlusal paper and take down the bite where the markings tell you it's high. The patient will often have some sensitivity still for a few days, but it should get better over time. In this case, crown lengthening was accomplished for most of the dentition, and it required scalloping and intrasecular incisions, as well as osseous recontouring. Sutures were placed, and the patient was healing well at the follow-up post-op appointments at the two-week, three-month, and five-month marks. Awesome. I think we went over a lot of cool things today. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to sharing our next podcast with you, episode six. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.